It's 12.09, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Let's get right to it. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one. You could call this hoisted upon one's own petard, as it were. Al Franken, the Democrat, uber-liberal senator from Minnesota, writer for Saturday Night Live. Whenever I see Al Franken, I think of him playing the coked-out, drug sex crazed guy in trading places and uh, yeah in trading places um well al franken i don't know that he's not as anything necessarily much different than that in real life now this is a guy who got elected to the u.s senate and has set himself up as sort of the conscience of the senate he sits and he lectures particularly conservative nominees. Earlier this week, he was lecturing a judicial candidate who said something, and he said, oh, well, you know, that, that, that was inappropriate, and you say it's a joke. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, if, if nobody thinks it's funny, maybe that means it's not really a joke. This is the same Al Franken who has been appropriately very critical of Roy Moore. Well, Al Franken now finds himself in the hot seat. If you haven't heard this story and you want to see the picture that accompanies it, you can simply text us the word Franken, F-R-A-N-K-E-N, to 414-799-1620. But here's the deal. Um, There is a radio news anchor. um, She works in Los Angeles who has come out with a, a written statement as part of her blog involving something that she says happened when Al Franken, this is back in the day when Al Franken was the liberal talk show host on the now defunct Air America, and they were on a USO tour. This woman um, was a model. Um, uh, she modeled for Maxim. She modeled for Playboy. Um, but you know now she's, she's also a radio host as well. And they were on a USO tour in Afghanistan in 2006, This is what she describes this as. In December of 2006, I embarked on my ninth USO tour. Her name is Leanne Tweeden. I embarked on my ninth USO tour to entertain our troops, my eighth to the Middle East since the 9-11 attacks. My father served in Vietnam, and my then-boyfriend and now-husband, Chris, is a pilot in the Air Force. So bringing a little piece of home to service members stationed far away from their families with both my passion and my privilege. Also on the trip were country music artists Daryl Worley, Mark Wills, Carrie Thomas, Kenny Thomas, and some cheerleaders from the Dallas Cowboys. The headliner was comedian and now Senator Al Franken. Again, at the time, he was a host on Air America. Franken has written some sk- had written some skits for the show and brought props and costumes to go along with them. Like many USO shows before and since, the skits were full of sexual innu- innuendo geared towards a young male audience. As a TV host and sports broadcaster, as well as a model familiar to the audience from the covers of Maxim, Playboy, and FHM, I was only expecting to MC and introduce the acts. But Franken said he had written a part for me that he thought would be funny, and I agreed to play along. When I saw the script, Franken had written a moment where his character comes at me for a kiss. I suspected what he was after, but I figured I could turn my head at the last minute or put my hand over his mouth to get more laughs from the crowd. On the day of the show, Franken and I were alone backstage, going over our lines one last time. He said to me, we need to rehearse the kiss. I laughed and ignored him. Then he said it again. I said something like, relax, Al. This isn't SNL. We don't need to rehearse the kiss. He continued to insist, and I was beginning to get uncomfortable. He repeated that actors really need to rehearse everything and that we must practice the kiss. I said, okay, so he would stop badgering me. We did the line leading up to the kiss, and then he came at me, put his hand on the back of my head, mashed his lips against mine, and aggressively stuck his tongue in my mouth. 
Yuck. I immediately pushed him away with both my hands against his chest, told him if he ever did that to me again, I wouldn't be so nice about it. The next time I walked away, all I could think about was getting to a bathroom as fast as possible to rinse the taste of him out of my mouth. I felt disgusted and violated. Um, not long after, I performed the skit as written, carefully turning my head so he couldn't kiss me on the lips. No one saw what happened backstage. I didn't tell the sergeant major of the Army who was the sponsor of the tour. I didn't tell our USO rep what happened. At the time, I didn't want to cause trouble. We were in the middle of a war zone. It was the first show of our holiday tour. I was a professional. I could take care of myself. I told a few others on the tour what Franken had done, and they knew how I felt about it. Um, I tried to let it go, but I was angry. Other than our dialogue on stage, I never had a voluntary conversation with Al Frank. And again, I avoided him as much as possible and made sure I was never alone with him again on the rest of the tour. Franken repaid me with petty insults, including drawing devil horns and at least one of the headshots I was autographing for the troops. All right, then, so that's her story about what happens. Following the tour... She says she found a photo of Franken groping her breasts over her clothes while she was sleeping. And this is the photograph that, you know, you can see. Apparently, you know, what happened is she says, hey, we were on our way back from the tour. I was exhausted. She, she's, you know, in a flak jacket. You know, she's dressed in, you know, the, the quasi-military stuff. She says, we get on the plane. I, I just, I literally fall asleep right away. And then you can see this picture of a leering Al Franklin, uh, Franken, apparently either grabbing her breasts and mugging for the camera or pretending to grab her breasts and mugging from, for the camera. For Franken's spot position, he, he says, Franken says, well, I, 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 this is not how I recall this happening, and I'm, I, I'm sorry if she took it in this fashion. Not, and then as to the photo, he says, well, I mean, I, I, was, I thought this was all in good fun, and I thought it was funny, and uh, obviously she didn't. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There does not appear to be any issue that this, in fact, did happen. The question is going to be, are other women going to come forward? And my guess is, yes, this will probably start other women coming forward. But assuming this is true, what should happen to the conscience of the U.S. Senate, Al Franken? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where does Al Franken go from here? We discuss next. I'll tell you what I think happens, but we'll talk about what should happen. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back after the break. It's 1216. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1219. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have a text here, Jeff. If we start kicking every male member of the House and Senate out who have at one time been sexually inappropriate towards women, will there be anybody left? Which is a fair question. Um, gee, Al Franken, you know, ex cokehead Hollywood celebrity. Is it any surprise that he, gee, treated women in a, I don't know, sort of boorish type of fashion? I, that, that to me, it's, it's not a shock at, at all. I guess the question becomes, you know, what, what happens now? And I want to be real consistent here. You know, when the Roy Moore story first broke, I came out and what I said was, look, I don't know whether there was a sexual assault or, or not. It was clearly troubling. And I looked at different indicators. Because on the one hand, I said, all right, what do you do if you're 
your guy like Roy Moore, how do you defend from an allegation of somebody that you deny? Somebody says this happened 38 years ago. Well, what's happened is you have all these other different women who are now coming out and they're telling the same story. And there's no question in my mind. I don't know. Did Roy Moore grope this one woman inappropriately? I, I don't know. But I don't care because it is very apparent. You know, you have an overwhelming amount of evidence that suggests that Roy Moore, when he was in his 30s, was sniffing around teenage girls. And that in and of itself, to me, should be disqualifying for a candidate for the U.S. Senate. Now, this is different. You've got a liberal lion who has been lecturing people on appropriate behavior. Like I say, my guess is now that there's got a photograph. So, you know, this guy did this. My guess is this is not going to be the only woman that's going to come out and talk about boorish behavior. But what do you do? 414. 799-1620. Seven nine nine one six twenty, and is there a double standard, Linda in Oconomowoc? Linda, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Linda. This situation is really going to be something. Um, just observing, you know, and seeing people that you normally wouldn't think would be this way, and Al Franken is no exception. I mean, I think that when these women call out these people, and there's enough substantial evidence, they need to be disciplined in some way. Mm-hmm. And I was, as I was telling one of your other people. If I told you how many times I was sexually harassed on my job over the past 40 years, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, I can tell you at least two men that got fired because of it, and I didn't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and these are really nice guys. You would never suspect, but they get in a situation where they're either trying to be funny, they make a joke out of it. And I think women's awareness of this now is just bringing everybody right. out of the walls. Right. Now, I looked at it that I put people in their place. I felt confident in myself to say, no, don't talk to me that way or I'll close my door. Um, I right. would not allow it to happen. But, you know, people are going to come out now because this is becoming political. Mm-hmm. It's not just a matter of, did it happen or what happened? It's becoming political. So and what I'm do you do? What do you do in a situation like this? Now let, they have to be disciplined. Right. They have to be disciplined. And the only reason I say that is because in my situation, there were times when I said something to somebody, not to the HR department, right. and they would say, "Well, you can't leave your door closed," or he's just kidding. Yeah. And I think. What they should do is when somebody complains to a supervisor, that supervisor should go to HR and that person should be put on a warning. They should bring them to the office and say, there's been a harassment situation filed against you. Um, this is becoming, this is going to become a part of your record. You have another warning. In other words, you're, gi- you're going to be given another chance. Now, if it So what do you do, Linda? Let me just interrupt you, though. Linda. What do you do sure. in a situation? Like like an Al Franken thing, where it's it's ten years ago. I mean, he's yeah. now he's a U.S. senator. At the time, yeah. he was a he was a talk show host on Air America. So it, yeah. it's now completely different. It's not like he did it yesterday. It's not like he's accused of doing it. You know, a month ago with somebody in the the Senate. Um, what do you do? Well. The, the statute of limitation certainly is to be taken into consideration. Also, um, why didn't the woman file a formal complaint? I know women that have filed formal complaints right away when it happens. Looking back at my history and, you know, maybe the 15 times that I was sexually harassed in the workplace, I felt like once I said stop and it didn't go on anymore, then I felt okay. 
I'm done. I'm not right. going to bother anymore. But that's me. Women yeah. would come up to me and say, why are you letting him get away with that? Yeah. If that was me, you make it bad for all the other women. But, you know, after 10 years... I don't know. I mean, granted, yeah, no, no. he's going to have to live up to his reputation. Yeah, no. Franken. Yeah, no. Thanks for calling. See, that's what makes it difficult. I think we would all agree nowadays that that if you're talking about something in the workplace, you know, 2017, I think people are are kind of dialed into that. The question becomes, and and it's one thing if you are if you are electing somebody, um, and I I think it is fair. Here's what I think. Do, do I think Roy Moore should be able to run for the U.S. Senate if he wants to? Yes, I do. Do I think the voters should judge him appropriately? Would I vote for Roy Moore? Heck no. As a Republican, do I think it's in everybody's interest for Roy Moore to step down? Absolutely. Would I support efforts in the U.S. Senate if he is elected not to seat him? Yes. Now, the Al Franken case, I want to be honest, it presents me with a different situation. I have no question. There's no doubt in my mind that Al Franken is a creep. And like I say, my guess is if you have people from the Hollywood years coming forward, they're going to be telling all sorts of similar sort of Al Franken stories. You don't wake up one day and decide. I'm going to engage in this sort of boorish behavior. And it is boorish behavior. And the woman has a picture of it, for goodness sake. So, I I mean, at the same time, he wasn't in the U.S. Senate. I think this is a matter, candidly, for the voters of Minnesota to judge him. Do I think he necessarily has to be forced out of the Senate? No, I, I, I don't, because this didn't occur in that workplace. Don't get me wrong, I am not endorsing it. But I think this would be the same position I would take, um, I, I would take whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. If this was misbehavior in the workplace, I would have a completely different position on it. I think it's a matter for the folks of Minnesota to judge, and hopefully they will be, you know, hopefully they'll decide that, you know, Al, Car- Al Franken might, this, this holy and holier-than-thou character that he portrays might not, um, might, might not be really true. John in Brookfield. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Great talking to you. Thanks for calling. Hey, how incredible is this entire situation? <laughs> I mean... Well, well, think back I'm, to Bill Clinton. Remember, remember when, well, okay, all these women came forward with Bill Clinton, and you had everybody on the left that was, you know, just trying to bury them. Oh, no, no, it can't be Bill Clinton. Now we, we understand that, okay, Paula Jones and all these people, they, they probably were, uh, you know, Juanita Broderick, they were telling the truth. Oh, for sure. And I'm 28 years old, so I'm, I'm on the younger, mm-hmm. I'm sure, spectrum of, of your listeners here. Uh, but how, how scared do you think every congressman, senator is of going, oh, gosh, what did I do 15 years ago? Mm-hmm. And just how, how disgusting is it that, because this can't be it. This can't be the, the line in the sand of, oh, it was just these, these handful of people. You know there are so many of them. If you want to talk about... A, a weird way to enforce some kind of horrible term limit here. It, it's kind of taking effect. Well, it, it, I mean, I, that and that's uh, thanks to call and seeing and seeing John. I guess that's look. I, I I make a distinction at least when you're talking about somebody who is currently in that office. I make a distinction between something that happened when they were senator and something that predated. That is by no way in. in 
that's no way endorsing or trying to make excuses for the conduct. I mean, obviously, if these were intern, but you know, keep in mind. I mean, my goodness, we've had scandals over the last not you know it, it hasn't been that long ago that you had members of Congress who were shacked up with their pages and things like that, and people just decided to look the other way. This does, to me, I think, to extent expose the hypocrisy of the left. Um, but but I guess if you're asking me, how does the Al Franken thing play out? Well, um, you know, he says he'll cooperate with the Senate, Senate ethics investigation, except he wasn't in the Senate at the, the time. Um, if this was workplace stuff, I would feel one way. I think this is a matter for the voters to judge him, just like I think the voters will judge Roy Moore harshly. And I think it would be interest of, interest of the conservative movement for Roy Moore to step down um, and allow somebody else to run for office, just like I think the U.S. Senate would be completely appropriate in deciding not to seat him. In Al Franken's case, and like I say, my prediction is there's going to be more people. My guess is, um, my guess is the voters of Minnesota will have a chance to judge this. If you want to see the picture, again, you can simply text the word Franken to 414-799-1620. Big story number two is coming up. All he wants to do is dance. Stick around. It's 1229. 1236 WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. Major League Baseball front offices are gathering all this week for baseball's winter meetings. What kind of rumors might we hear that involve the Brewers? Matt Pauley shares the latest during Brewers Weekly starting at 8 p.m. here on WTMJ. All right, this story's been floating around for a little while, but there is a new development. I haven't had an opportunity to weigh in on it. Here's the story. Young man, his name is Caden Johnson, and he is a sophomore um, who goes to school, goes to high school up in, um, up in, in Superior. What happens is he wants to participate on the school's high school dance team, right? Wants to be on, on the dance team. And at his high school, they don't, they don't really care. They're, they're willing to let him be on the dance team. Here's the problem, though. Again, um, th- for competitive dance, you know, the, the competitive dance teams, there's – the school he goes to in Superior competes with a lot of schools. The league that they're in, you cross over the border, you go to Minnesota. So there's a lot of Minnesota schools that you'll be competing against. Minnesota has a rule that the dance teams, this competition, is exclusively for for girls. That That's the whole nature of it. Only girls. Well, so as a result, even though his high school is cool with him being on the team, he, he can't compete. Uh, so if they go to meets, he cannot participate because they're participating and they're competing against all these Minnesota schools. And Minnesota has a rule that, that girls can't compete, uh, that boys can't compete because this is a girls only activity. Uh, the development was earlier this week, his lawyers filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education saying that um, this is unfair discrimination. They point towards Title IX, which bars public schools from excluding students from sports and other extracurricular activities based on on gender. They say, hey, you know, this is, you know, there aren't competitive dancing things for boys. The only way he can participate in this competitive dance is to be on the girls' team. He should be allowed to do that. You shouldn't tell him, oh, you're the wrong sex, you can't participate. All right, Minnesota, 
on the other hand, says, look, what we're trying to do historically the opportunity for girls to participate in various sporting activities has been limited. So in order to try to make up for previous problems, what we've done is, you know, we've, because for girls, the overall athletic opportunities have previously been limited. Yes, we are going to limit this to to girls. And our concern is that if boys, whether it's this boy or whether it's other boys, because from an athletic perspective, boys are different than girls. If the boys start trying out for this team, they're going to take away positions from the girls. So Minnesota says, yeah, we, we think we should be entitled to do this under the law because, like we say, we're trying to make up for the historical imbalance in opportunities. And if you start letting girl boys participate on the dance team, um, they're going to they're going to shut the girls out, essentially. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The kid, for his part, says, hey, all I want to do is dance. I want to be on the dance team. I should be able to participate. Minnesota says, hey, if you participate, you're going to probably, and other boys take this away, you're going to take away opportunities um, for the girls. Should they let him dance? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this, to me, is very interesting because it, it underscores one of the problems with Title IX. Title IX does say you shouldn't be able to discriminate. You shouldn't discriminate based on on gender. So if you have the girl that wants to play on the football team and there's no similar girls football team, you should let her try out. If you've got the boy that wants to play on the girls' field hockey team because there's no boys' field hockey team, you should have to let him participate. And if he takes a spot away from a girl, the argument would be too bad. Should they let this young man dance? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer, and you might not like it, my answer is no. I, I think Minnesota has a point. I will get into detail, but I'm curious as to what you think. Should he be allowed to dance on the all-girls uh, dance team? Should they be allowed to have an all-girls dance team viewing this as a girls' sport? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1242. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's what Minnesota is saying, the way I in- interpret this. Um, They say, historically, boys in high schools, boys have had more competitive sports opportunities than girls. So what we want to do is we want to carve out a couple sports where there's not going to be enough interest to field, say, a boys team. And and we're going to make that exclusively for girls. And we're going to say boys can't participate. You've got all these other choices, participate in some of the other choices. But in this case, when it comes to competitive dance, um, when it comes to being on the dance team, all right, the people on the dance team are going to be, you know, girls. Um, I, I guess I would imagine boys can go out to be cheerleaders, and I understand there's always this controversy between the dance teams and the cheerleaders. So how, here you have this young man. He's a sophomore. He goes to Superior. Um, Superior High School in Wisconsin lets him be on the dance team, but he can't compete because boys can't compete in Minnesota because of this rule. 
I actually don't have a problem, I, I guess, with this. I think that there's all sorts of opportunities that are out there where he could participate in other sort of sports competitions. And I've always had a problem with this interpretation of Title IX. I mean, I think the idea, for example, if you've got a girls' field hockey team, the guy that wants to try out for the field hockey team, because boys are different than girls um, and maybe is arguably a better athlete than half, of, of the girls that are out there just because of the physical differences between boys and girls, he's going to take up a spot that would otherwise go to a girl. I've always had trouble with that, and this is just another variation of this. Let's see. Kim sends me a text. I used to coach cheer in Minnesota. What you're saying is accurate. This is due to title uh, a particular section of Title 19 rules in Minnesota that require a certain amount of girls' sports versus boys' sports. Let's talk to Victor in Bayside. Victor, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Victor. It's a a fascinating legal question, to be sure, but I want to make the point that, you know, dance is not something where it's just pure athleticism and strength. I mean, it's so much of a skill thing. No one ever grows up being told that, oh, because boys are bigger and stronger, that means they're better dancers. So it just seems to me like the fact that they're making such a big deal out of this that it just risks, you know, the whole integrity and availability of women's sports, of girls' sports, seems to me totally silly. Well, I, I don't know that they're saying it, it It has the potential to destroy the availability of girls' sports, but if, if there's limited opportunities for girls to participate, and, and maybe you don't accept the premise that, you know, a, a guy might be more athletic, and to the extent that, you know, athleticism is a criteria, criteria for the, the dance team, that would perhaps give him a leg up, no pun intended. But I guess if there, to the extent that if this guy and a couple of his buddies decided they wanted to go out for the dance team instead of the soccer team or the basketball team or whatever, and ended up taking spots away from girls, wouldn't, wouldn't that be at least a potential cause for concern? Uh, possibly, but th- the second point I wanted to make is that, you know, I was in a high school where we only had girls field hockey and there was no boys field hockey. Right. And believe me, like, it was like, it would be incredibly socially awkward for any boy to raise their hand and be like, no, I really, really want to play field hockey. Let me play with a girls team. Yeah. I mean, these, yeah. these boys are going to be very few and far between. Yeah, so, it, it'll be, and that could very well be. I mean, they, I mean, I used the, Victor, I used the example of field hockey because there's been a couple occasions like that where, you know, I mean, field hockey, again, an athletic endeavor, and you, you had, you had guy, high school sophomores or juniors who, and I believe me, I don't. Nothing I meant to say here is intended to demean female athletes. But I mean, you know, guys tend to be, as a general rule, you know, bigger, stronger, faster than you know girls on the average. And it's not to say that girls aren't great athletes and there aren't women that are much better athletes than men. But you know what I'm saying in that context. I mean, you look at you look at female basketball players versus uh, male basketball players in the professional leagues, and the male basketball players. Again, because of the difference between men and women or boys and girls, um, they have athletic, they have, everybody's athletic, but they have skills, a skill set that's, that's greater. And I guess that is what the concern is. Okay, here I have a text. Um, I have been a dancer my entire life. I was on the high school dance team and captain of my college team. Dance is an inclusive sport. Men and women should and do participate in dance equally as a sport. Look at Broadway, look at the dance studios. Men and women dance together. 
dance is not a sport that is limited by gender. It is an artistic expression and a creative art. I strongly believe that he should be allowed to participate. I guess, again, the concern isn't, isn't can a male man be a dancer? The concern Minnesota has is that if we let the boy on the team, women have historically, girls have historically been underrepresented. They do not have as many options as the boys do. If we don't carve out certain girls-only, women-only teams, are the boys who want to do this going to essentially take spots away from, from the girls? Because there's not going to be a girls' football team. I mean, the girls, there's not enough of them to go out and, and want to play football. Um, maybe the same thing's true in, in hockey, you know, whatever these different sports are. And I guess I just think that's, I still, and again, I admit I am old-fashioned when it comes to this regard. I, I certainly think, especially in instances like this, where there are perhaps limited opportunities, especially for women, that there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, we're going to have you know certain sports that are for boys to go into and certain spots, sports that are for girls to go into, and then where there's enough interest, say like basketball, we'll have sports that both of them can participate in. Is that really that unreasonable? 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number three is coming up. Stick around. We're going to be talking about another day in Milwaukee, another car chase, more stolen cars, more punks. What do we do? Stick around. It's 1252. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You'll want to attend this. Two weeks from yesterday, November 29th, they're putting me to work. I'm going to be doing a, uh, a fundraiser for the Washington County Boys and Girls Clubs. It's like the taste of Washington County. It's at the county fairgrounds. All these restaurants come, and you buy a ticket for forty-five bucks, and you get to eat. I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be serving food. I am I. They have enlisted. I'm not cooking the food. I'm going to be serving the food. Don't want the food that I cook, but um, I'll be out there. So check that out. It's a big fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Club, and I am very glad to participate in that. Um, PG-13 warning. Okay, we're going to do big story number three coming up right after the top of the hour news. But I, the PG-13 warning for the, the next comment I want to make. Let's give you a moment. If you've got those little pictures with the big ears, um, you can come back to the radio in about five minutes or so. PG-13 warning. Do, 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 do. Okay, that's enough warning. Um, there, people are animals. It, it's just that there's been a story I've been following out of the Chicago court system where all these female public defenders who are assigned to handle, like, the inmates and the indigent people, they've been filing complaints because they go into the jails to, you know, meet with their clients, you know, through the glass and that type of stuff. And apparently it's the cottage industry down in Chicago for other inmates to stand behind, like, the inmate that the lawyer's talking to and drop their pants and, how do I say this, pleasure themselves. That, that's the idea. You know, these, these creeps do this to try to get the attention of the female public defenders and all. And, you know, it's becoming a huge scandal. It's also apparently playing out in, in Wisconsin. Whenever we talk about juvenile, juvenile offenders, I understand there's some people, particularly some people around here, who say, oh, we're just incarcerating too many of these young, wonderful children, and it's just awful, and we're sending them up to Lincoln Hills, and, and they get you, they get put in solitary confinement, and they get pepper sprayed and things like that, and they get put in handcuffs. Well, the reason that's happening is because you have really dangerous people 
that are there. It's not like Leave it to Beaver anymore. It's not like it was in the 50s. You're sending dang- – got to work to go to Lincoln Hills. You, you do. And the people that are put in there are very, very dangerous. And the guards – and the people who work there work under intolerable conditions simply because of the nature of the criminal that is going there. And that offends some liberals who say, oh, how dare you say that this 15-year-old is a criminal? Yes, he is. Here's the latest story. Teen, this is the Journal Sentinel reporting it, teen inmates at Wisconsin's uh, youth prison routinely taunt women who work there with sexual comments, expose their genitalia to them, and openly masturbate in front of them according to records and interviews details about these incidents including inmates deliberately getting female workers attention as they gratify themselves are talking about their bodies in crude ways apparently it's been this is a regular thing that's out there and you've got some loon lefty federal judge out in Madison, who's never spent any significant time working in the criminal justice system and who has no clue as to the type of people we are sending to this, saying to the guards, well, we can't be too hard on them. We can't use solitary confinement on them. We can't restrain them. We can't use pepper spray. And it's just a daily horror show. You have some crazy people who are suggesting, well, maybe what we need to do is close down these prisons and send more of these thugs, punks, antisocial criminals out on the street. You read the story that JS has online, and it's, again, it's a horror story. Um, you got these 15, 16-year-old kids that have decided that this is the cottage industry. This is what's going to be fun. We're going to assault the guards. We're going to expose ourselves to the females that work in this setting. And they know that they're going to have the protection of a federal judge in the ACLU. It is a disgrace, pure and simple. Big story number three is coming up. Speaking about disgraces, how many more cars are the law-abiding citizens of this area going to put up with having stolen before we demand some action from the legislature? Stick around. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner. One oh eight. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, Rue, who's producing the show today and always. This is making me a horrible person. The reports are that Charles Manson. You know who Charles Manson is, right, Rue? You do. Okay. All right. All right. Just test this out. Charles Manson is in the hospital, uh, apparently in critical condition. People close to the situation are saying it's not going to get any better for him. It is just a matter of time. Does that make me a horrible person if I say good? I mean, good. I mean, and if you think it does, I'll live with that because uh, somebody like Charles Manson, a true definition of a monster who has been, thanks to a decision in California regarding the death penalty, has been essentially fed, housed, clothed, entertained um, at the expense of the California taxpayers for well, you know, going on five decades now. Now, it, it's it's uh, no it, when when he goes to meet his maker and uh, somebody who is a firm believer that there is an up there and a down there. You you know you know where Charles Manson is going to be going. At least you know where he Charles Manson deserves to go. And so yeah, they say he's on his last legs. And um, again, my reaction would be good. All right. Yesterday we talked about the story involving the the car crash that happened in in the stolen Jeep um, up by Marquette University. It started on the west side. You have a robbery task force now because people in the suburbs, um, I, I think, have become so outraged at criminals 
largely, not exclusively, but largely from the city of Milwaukee coming out and committing crimes in, in the suburbs, that you now have this suburban task force, which is on the look for these things. You had the story yesterday about a car that had been involved in a carjacking. This is a Jeep. The, the officers see it. A chase ensues, as frequently happens. The car ends up crashing. In this case, it was up by Marquette. The the bad guys, there's five of them, get out and run, um, ages 12 to 17. 12 years old, 1030 at night, driving around in a stolen car that's been involved in an armed robbery, and, and people, again, run. They caught them all. We talked about the story yesterday. It, it is my firm belief that... Um, what we need to do is we need to stop coddling juveniles. We need to make the names of juveniles who are accused of serious crimes public. It is a matter of public safety. All right, so that was the story yesterday. Five people, 12 to 17. Another day, another stolen car, another armed robbery, another car chase. Um, four people, and this is the way it's being reported on a couple different TV stations, four people in custody last night following an armed robbery, a vehicle pursuit, and a crash. According to the Milwaukee police, the pursuit began near 87th and Fond du Lac around 8.15 p.m. Uh, again, the reason the Milwaukee police chase is this was a, a vehicle that was involved in an armed robbery. It ended roughly 15 minutes later in the area of 75th and Glendale when the vehicle crashed, as often happens. Four suspects get out. They all try to run. That is the modus operandi, and the police caught all four of them. So far, they haven't released any information on the ages of the thugs that were involved in this, and um, they haven't uh, issued any information about the, the armed robbery itself. But the, the bottom line is they've, they've, got, they've got the bad guys. My guess is that the car is going to turn out to be stolen. Could be wrong. My guess is the car is going to turn out to be stolen. My guess is that when you get the names of the four people that were in that car, to the extent we do, because some of them could be juveniles, in which case we've got to protect their their identities, um, my guess is all of them will probably have lengthy criminal records or criminal contacts um, because, again, once again, I just don't think you wake up one morning and say, hey, today's the day I'm going to go start out and commit an armed robbery and then flee from the police. But now you have, okay, another day, another car chase, another car crash. Again, the thugs, the criminals trying to run. When are we going to say enough is enough? I've been watching and listening to story after story after story. There's one out there today about Whitefish Bay, nice suburb, about how they've had a number of car thefts over the last several months where, you know, people have broken into cars that are sitting in their driveway, in people's driveways, and they've been able to either break into the car and use, like, the um, remote control, the garage door thing to get into the garage, to get into the house, or alternatively, even though the cars have been locked, people have broken into the cars and people have left their keys in the car. And and, and so now, you know, we've got the cops that are saying, well, don't, you know, you, you, you can't leave your keys in the car. You have to make sure we lock up everything. And I get all that. And, and I get that we've kind of reached that point. But but at some point in time, don't we have to say enough is enough? Don't we have to say that decent, law-abiding, tax-paying people 
have the right to be protected from these thugs. And yes, it's good advice to say, okay, make sure you've got your interior garage door locked as well, so in case some thug is able to break into your car and open up the garage door, he's not going to be able to get into the house. I, I, I understand that. And maybe we need to take it the next step and say you should lock every door in your home to prevent people from being able to get around. But we really shouldn't have to live like that. We should not have to live in fear of the thugs and the punks and the career criminals and the habitual criminals and the 16-year-old wannabe career habitual criminals who are out there preying on us. And one of the ways we start, I think, is by saying, if you commit crimes, you go to jail. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. You go to prison. And this is where it is time for the legislature to act. You have judges who do not have the spine or the political courage to send people to prison in many, many cases, unless they're forced to it. You have juvenile court judges who do backflips trying to figure out how we cannot hold people accountable. Here's what I think we need, pure and simple. You steal a car. You go to prison for two years, three years. You steal a car using a gun. You go to prison for five years. Mandatory minimum. Now, maybe you go to prison for more than that, but at least mandatory minimum penalties. Let's take the discretion out of the hands of the judges. Let's stop letting them do what they do. Well, we're going to sentence you to four years in prison, but I'm going to suspend the sentence. You know, Uh, let's start sending these people to prison for long periods of time or at least enough time to get them off the streets to teach them there are consequences. And I recognize that what we're going to be doing in some cases is just training thugs. I get it because they're going to come out of prison and they're going to be just as bad, if not worse. But you know what? That time they were in prison, at least decent people were protected because they weren't in a position to go out and commit crimes. The more I see this, and I understand there's some people, that, oh, Jeff, this is such 1980s thinking. No, we got to build more prisons. We we can't be we can't incarcerate our way out of the crime problem. Yes, we can. Yes, yes, we can. Now I'm all in favor. Like I say, I'm all in favor of trying to work on social causes of crime and things like that. But you know what? Once you start committing crimes, you should be going to jail. And if the judges don't have the guts to do it, let's have the legislature do it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line we'll be back with your calls in just a minute it's 117 this is jeff wagner wtmj 414-799-1620 is our number 119 jeff wagner wtmj if i sound frustrated it's because i am i just i grew up in this community this used to be a decent community and and i understand there were always problems where you had certain crime prone areas but you know we're now getting to a point you live in nice neighborhoods you've got to live in fear because you have these roving bands of criminals and thugs every damn day we've got a story about an armed robbery and stolen cars and people running from the cops and putting people's lives in danger and then they you catch them and it's always the same story it's a bunch of losers who have lengthy criminal records who should have been in prison then we have the stories of the 16 and 17 year olds who steal 20 and 30 cars get slapped on the wrist and put in a position to steal another 20 or 30 when are we going to say enough is enough and when are we going to start saying lock them up and i for one can i see a show of hands i 
if if it means paying a little bit more in taxes to lock up the thugs to keep them off the streets so they're not terrorizing people in parking lots of piggly wigglies they're not beating up people in gas station parking lots to steal their cars i am all in favor of it bill in oconomowoc bill you're on 620 wtmj good morning good afternoon i'm sorry good afternoon jeff great topic say uh we're tapped out with prisons and with the mess that's going on in lincoln hills and you is with your background you probably understand this better than most people it's kind of on the down low. We don't want to talk about it. We can talk about all the good things we're doing, but we're tapped out to put anybody, any place to incarcerate. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and boy, I hope I'm wrong. Our rate of incarceration is one of the highest in the Midwest. Am I correct, or is that out? And I could be wrong. I, and and I, I honestly don't, you know, I don't. I don't know. I haven't seen comparisons to, like, Illinois or, or to Minnesota. So I don't, I don't know one way or the other, Bill. I, I, I don't know. Okay, uh, but don't you agree that uh, we are very negligent, and uh, we're, we're great about talking what we're going to do, but after the fact, then we're clueless. Oh, we have oh. no idea where we're going to put these people. Well, right, which is why, I mean, no, thanks for calling, and that is fair. That is why whenever I talk about this, I always make, I always do the, the caveat that, you know, you, the, the, you, you, we have to be willing to build the prisons. I think we were wrong, for example, to close various youth prisons and, and send everybody up to Lincoln Hills. But that doesn't mean I don't think we should be sending people to prison. Quite the contrary. I mean, I think we need to make that commitment. And, and the problem is you have, again, conservative legislators who don't want to spend money on prisons. I get it. You have liberal legislators who don't want to send people to prisons. That I don't get. And you've got judges who run for reelection and don't want to be viewed by defense attorneys as being too hard on crime because then the defense attorneys end up substituting against them. And then you've got a system that doesn't allow the public to find out what's happening to juveniles. I, I think we need transparency. I think we need to let us find out if juveniles are committing crimes, who are they? What is the disposition? And But yes, you are exactly right, Bill. The follow-up to this is that we need to be willing to make a commitment a commitment to say we're going to build more prisons. That's just the result of this. And if you've got the corresponding thing, then is we just say these are the rules. And I come from a federal system where when I was a federal prosecutor, this is what happened. You committed a crime with a gun. There was a mandatory five-year minimum penalty that went along with any underlying sentence. So... I, I don't know. You 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 steal a car. Okay, that's one penalty. You got a gun with you. You go for an extra five years. That's the way you get serious on gun crime. But I would expand it. I would expand it to car theft. I would expand it to armed robbery. It's time we say enough is enough because. Here's what's going to happen. We are now starting to crack down on these things. For example, you've got the Suburban Task Force, which is now chasing. They're being more aggressive. Ed Flynn has been forced into modifying his policy, and that's all well and good. But it's not going to do any good if you catch these people and they're turned loose on bail 30 hours later or three hours later, and they're back out on the streets again. I am all in favor, and I said this yesterday, I'm all in favor of dealing with root causes of crime. But that's for people who are smarter than me. I, I don't I don't know whether it's midnight basketball to give people things to do so, gee, I can go play midnight basketball so I don't have to grab, so I 
just uh, so I don't have to grab a gun and stick it in somebody's face. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't care about that. That's, you know, I'll let people, like I say, smarter than me figure that out. I'm just, I'm a crime guy. And, and when I, all I know is when you make that decision to commit crimes and you do it repeatedly, you need to go to prison and you need to stay in prison and maybe you'll learn your lesson and maybe you'll come out of prison and you'll want to be a decent citizen but if you don't at least for that time that you're in prison you're not out stealing people's cars it's 125 this is jeff wagner it's 127 this is jeff wagner wtmj sometimes a split second decision can change a life sometimes it can save one that's exactly what happened with one milwaukee woman hear her powerful story at 450 on wisconsin's afternoon news I apologize for climbing up on my soapbox, but you know, I, I'm just, I'm tired. I, I, I'm tired of seeing on a daily basis a story about somebody who has been victimized, or in many cases, it's multiple people who've been victimized. It's typically, it is the same group of, of people, the, the thugs that are out there that don't give a rat's rump about, you know, decent people and stuff that they've worked hard to obtain. They don't care about their lives. They're out there sticking guns in people's face and and robbing and stealing whatever they can. And at some point in time, aren't we going to say enough is enough? And I look and I I appreciate I'm not faulting the police who say, gee, you know, we've got all these car thieves that are playing or praying in nice neighborhoods. And what you have to do is you've got to lock your doors and you've got to lock your cars and you've got to take your keys and you've got to lock everything up. And I understand that's good advice, but we should not have to live like that. We should not, as law-abiding, honest, honest, decent, tax-paying citizens, we should not be at the mercy of the thug culture. And that is what is going on here. It is precisely what is happening, and it's why it's why we need to change things. Um, our text line just exploded. I, Jeff, the price I pay in car and home insurance premium costs living in Milwaukee County is a reflection of the crime. I say Northridge Mall is sitting empty. It seems like a good use of empty space to lock them up. Turn that into prison. Somebody else says send them to boot camp. Uh, let's see. Um, Jeff, I completely agree. However, a lot of these thugs are small city kids who move to the city and know the ins and outs of the blue-collar neighborhoods that they're preying on. Yes? Um, okay, another note. Uh, Jeff, We, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We need you as a judge to change things. No. See, that's part of the problem, too, is that you know individual judge, the system is so screwed up because what happens is if you ever do have a tough-on-crime judge that gets onto the bench, which doesn't happen very often, then what happens is you have all the defense attorneys say, okay, we're going to sub – they have the right to essentially put that judge out of business. We're going to substitute against them. We're going to demand a change. It's The system is just – hopefully, hopelessly, hopelessly screwed up. That's why I think you need to take a lot of the authority away from the judges and just say, all right, you commit the crime. This is how much time you have to do. We have, speaking of the suburbs, we have an amazing story that I want to talk to you about that actually um, it comes from our very own Belinda Babnick. We're going to be talking to her about that in just a couple minutes. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nothing I am about to say should be construed in any way, shape, or form as, as condoning, bullying, or, or what we talk about, like the hazing. The things where to be a member of the fraternity, you have to drink, you know, a hundred shots of, of whatever. I, I mean, there, there's hazing, 
And then there's something else. There's sort of like good-natured competition. And I think sometimes we, we end up failing to see the, the difference between the two. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know I'm a North Shore kid. I grew up and went to Nicolet High School. I was on the debate team. We used to regularly compete with Homestead High School in, in Mequon. I had... Um, a very dear friend of the family. She was a teacher at Homestead, Miss Harriet. Actually, everybody thought I was. I, I always grew up. I, I, her name was Harriet Rothel, and I always referred to her as as Miss Harriet. I just I just knew her through my mom and stuff. And and then I'm I'm in high school, and I, I come see her at Homestead, and everybody thought it was so funny. I used to call her Miss Harriet. That's just how I grew up referring to her. But anyway, I've I've had a huge affection for Homestead High School in the past, and it's a very very good school in Mequon, although. They've, they've had a couple bizarre decisions over the years. Well, I saw this story first on today's TMJ4 about how apparently there's a teacher, a theater teacher, that's been put on leave after allegations that she condoned hazing. And, and the details kind of murky about this. And wouldn't you know it, but our very own Belinda Babinick was all over that story, and you actually, you ran out, and you had an opportunity to do an interview with um, one of the students who's in the middle of this, Belinda. I spoke by phone with one of the students who is the recipient of a platter. Every year, a senior in the theater department hands down a silver platter to another senior. And what they do is they compete for audience reaction. In a, pl- in a play. These in are like play. theater students. These they do the play plays. Kids, okay. Right. So they compete for audience reaction, and the runners-up get a bump on the behind with this platter from the person who gets the most audience reaction. So the, the, the senior who gets the biggest audience response, applause or whatever, gets to take the, the platter and, and swat one of the other kids in, in the behind with that, that platter. Right. Okay. Right. And this has been going on for like 30 years. I've been told this has been going on in the theater department for 30 years. So I got to, a chance to speak to one of the students. Her name is Silma Barada, a senior at Homestead High School. She is the one who was bequeathed with the platter uh, from a senior who graduated last year. And I talked to her about the tradition. I talked to her about the teacher involved. That teacher hasn't been seen in school in a week. Okay. Now, first of all, tell me about the ritual. What happens with the ritual? Well, first, I would like to clarify that this is not a hazing ritual. It is not hazing in any way, shape, or form. Um, what the tradition basically is, is it consists of a um, platter, and what basically happens is the two top scenes in a show go head-to-head, and the uh, scene that gets the louder applause gets to, I guess, it's kind of like a friendly tap to the runner-up with the platter. Is this tap on the rear end? Yes, it is. It is not hazing. No one has ever been pressured to um, stand in the middle of our pre-show circle and uh, is forced like to get their uh, rear end tapped with the platter. It is all fun and games. It is definitely not a form of hazing. How many years has this been going on, ever since you've been a freshman? Uh, yes, it's actually been a tradition for 30 years. It's been a tradition for 30 years? Yes. So who's got their knickers in a knot about this, then, if this has been going on for 30 years? Who, who, um, who, who's at odds with this? Basically, I think it's a, a parent. We aren't really told who complained, but I think it's a parent that um, took the tradition the wrong way. I mean, this all happens within our black box. Like, uh, the hour before the show happens, we also do warm-ups. It's all, it's, 
it's a very positive environment, so there's nothing harmful in the act whatsoever. So I think the parent or whoever uh, reported us was just misinformed. What happened to the teacher? Um, so right now she has not been at school for the past seven days, I believe, so I think she is getting investigated. Uh, we had a meeting with the principal, superintendent, and and director of human resources, but they um, could not tell us any information regarding if there is an investigation, if it exists, if it exists when, why. Um, but as far as I know, I believe it's because of that or because it was confiscated for me about a week ago. Why did you have the platter? Um, it's passed down uh, senior to senior, so uh, the last senior that had it passed it down from uh, from to me. And you're going to pass it down to a senior when you graduate? Uh, that was the plan, but... Um, they confiscated to... the platter? Yes. Okay. All right. So basically, and tell me if I'm wrong, you guys put up... Whoever gets the most applause during a scene in the show the night before, the next day, that person gets to smack somebody else on the rear end with this silver platter. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, just a, uh, what some would call a love tap. It's all, it's honestly minimal. Has anybody, like, wailed on somebody with the platter? Um, nope. I mean, we are all wearing layers of costumes, so it does not hurt. Have you seen anybody ever get aggressive with the platter? No, I have not. And you're telling me you've been in the theater program since you've been a freshman? Yes. Okay, so you've been in it for four years. Yes, I have. Okay. What's the scuttlebutt at school? What are, what are people saying? Right now what people are saying is the, the possibility of her being terminated over this is ridiculous. I mean, I, I understand why people would view this act immature and fine, uh, take, take, take that tradition away, but I don't think it should result in Miss Fig Franzoid being... Um, forced to resign or fired because of this. I think it's I think it's absurd. Do you think a lot of people would agree with you? I think uh, many people would agree, agree with me. I mean, so many people were at the meeting yesterday and it was scheduled the day of. But parents were willing to leave, like drop their, drop what they were doing and go down there and talk to these people and try to get Fig back. And when you say Fig, you're talking about Ms. Amelia Fig Franzoy? Yes, Ms. Fig Franzoy. Okay. All right. Anything else you want to tell me? Um, I would just like to say I really hope Ms. Fig Franzoy gets her job back. I mean, she is one of the best teachers at Homestead. I, she goes beyond what it means to be a teacher. She inspires people. She has changed people's, well, like, changed people's idea of what they want to do in life from being a doctor or writer to someone that stands on stage i mean there there's so many things that she has done for the school for the theater program for students that i i cannot even begin to describe i mean yesterday at the meeting there were so many students crying at the thought of her not being not not seeing her the next day of her not being at homestead high school it's, it's just not going to be the same without her so we need her back so, Belinda, this is obviously creating quite a stir up up there. A lot of the students going, well, with, this isn't really hazing. Right. And she 
was very adamant, Silma Barada was very adamant with me that she wanted to me to say, this is not hazing. This is a ritual, which she says are two very different things. Now, the Mequon-Thienville School District has issued a statement that says, in part, the Mequon-Thienville School District is currently investigating a situation that was reported to us involving a staff member at Homestead High School. No one has been dismissed. That is just a partial part of, of their statement. Right, and it says a staff member who was placed on leave will return to her full range of professional duties, both as a teacher and in her role as a theater director, on Thursday, November 16th. Okay, all right. Thanks, Belinda. Thank you, Jeff. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I understand that, obviously, sometimes in school situations, you, you have the these hazing rituals, which are designed to, I don't know, humiliate kids. And you know, we've had the stories about how that happens. Remember, the UW band got in trouble a while back with the... Uh, the UW band got in trouble, for example, with with this as as well, and there were allegations of you know hazing that was going on. You've had these stories that have come out over time, and and nobody is going to stand up and I think condone and accept the the hazing type of situation. At the same time, that's why I was intrigued by this. What it sounds like is you've got this these play competitions, the the competitions, the plays, and one of their traditions is apparently there's this platter, and the the person that gets their if their play gets the most applause, they get uh, Fanny Swat, you know, one of the other groups um, with that. And the thing gets passed down, and it's a student-driven sort of thing. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, First of all, for a parent, if that's the case, to get their undies in a bundle over this particular story strikes me as being incredibly odd. Secondly... While I appreciate schools need to investigate things, this is one where it would seem to me that right early on you could say, okay, this is not hazing, nothing to see here, let's move on. Is this something we need to be concerned about, or is this another example of political correctness run amok? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this just seems like one of these, and I will describe it, harmless traditions that is just one of these things that's kind of passed down. It It is... It is the tradition, and I understand you got to be serious about hazing. We, you know, we, we can't have people being made to feel uncomfortable or excluded or things like that. Um, and maybe it's tough to define exactly what hazing is, but just like pornography, I think a lot of us know it when we see it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, hold on. It's one forty six. One forty nine, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Uh, sometimes a split that second decision can change a life. Sometimes it can save one. That's exactly what happened with one Milwaukee woman. Hear her powerful story at four fifty on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Who, who's producing the show today? I, I, this is going to be one of these shows that I just walk out of, and I'm, I'm going to want a beer. But it just, it's just. It's one of these aggravating stories after another. Mequon students upset after teacher put on leave following hazing allegations. All right. I, I We all understand, you know, what the hazing thing is. At the same time, I would be willing to bet that most of us at some point in time have gone through, 
I mean, this isn't even an initiation. I remember back in the day when I was on the debate team, that that was one of the things, one of the initiations is for the first two tournaments or something, you had to carry the seniors' file cabinets, file stuff and stuff like that. It, it, it's these harmless sort of things that are traditions. Homestead High School and the theater department, apparently what they do is they have this platter, it's passed down from senior to senior, and they have these one-act play competitions, and whichever play gets the best response, those people get to swat the fanny of somebody in, in the other one. It's kind of this competitive thing. It's a fun thing. It gets passed down. You apparently have one whiny parent or staff member that becomes concerned with this. They file a complaint. They go and they whine, and the reaction is to, at least initially, now it appears that common sense has prevailed, it, it's to say, okay, well, we're going to put the teacher on leave while we investigate hazing allegations. It doesn't even sound to me like the teacher is involved in this. But you know what? Th- this sounds to me like harmless, good, traditional fun. And, and when are we going to stop dumbing things down? I mean, seriously. Um, let's. Our, our text line has just exploded. It seems to me that this is another one of those things that we constantly have to be in the nanny state. You can't have any touching. You can't have any looking. You can't have any thought anymore without somebody being offended or raising some sort of concern. Um, Let's see. Uh, a little friendly competition is not hazing. Easing everyone to be sensitive, easing everyone to be sensitive snowflakes doesn't set them up for the real world. Um, also, hazing is out of one's control. An audience reaction and the actor's control, therefore, it's just a traditional competition. Yeah, I get the idea that this is just something that is fun. Here's another text. This is getting so old. One person complaining before they understand the situation. Um, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, Let's see. The school needs to tell the whiny parent to get a life. Yeah, I can't tell from the story whether it was a whiny parent that complained or some other whiny faculty member. Um, Somebody else says, if someone tells someone to break a leg, are they instilling violence? This is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at some point in time. We have to recognize that people are human. And like I say, if you're faced with a situation of of legitimate hazing, well, you know, something that's intended to exclude or humiliate, okay, that's, I I get it. You want to deal with something like this. But this has apparently been going on at Homestead High School for decades in the theater department been going on for decades nobody has had a problem with it you haven't had homestead seniors going to the media and complaining saying oh my gosh and golly i was completely and totally devastated and destroyed because gee during the one act play competition somebody like tapped me on the butt with the silver platter which by the way now i have and i'm going to tap somebody else next year when i become a senior it's it's you haven't heard those types of, of stories there's not people I don't know, jumping off of bridges. There's not people whose lives are destroyed by what is a harmless act of camaraderie and a little bit of that internal competition. But, of course, we can't have that anymore. All you need is either one, like I say, whiny staff member or one whiny faculty member or one whiny parent who says, okay, we have to just stop this, and then, of course, everything has to go nuclear. Um if the people at Homestead are embarrassed that this story has gotten public, well, they, they should be embarrassed that this story is has, has gone public. And this is one where uh, you just you would have liked to have seen a smarter, more rational reaction in the beginning, which is to say, really? 
there's really nothing to see here. Why don't we just all move on? But, of course, we can't do that in today's day and age. It is 154. This is Jeff Wagner. As long as we are talking about aggravating things, I want to tell you a story about something I watched yesterday, and it brings to mind something they are doing in Chicago to try to deal with it. Stick around. That's coming up. It's 154. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 157. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, my favorite, my favorite text today, Jeff. What if this was your niece that was getting spanked? Would you say she was a whiny little girl if it was her? Well, first of all, this is not does not sound to me like it is spanking. And and that's of course, you know what what happens. You have the extremist and the alarmist because nobody's saying these kids are getting beaten with this. But here here's number 1. I am confident that my niece Sydney, who's now a freshman at college, my, I'm confident that Sydney would have viewed this in the same context that everybody over 30 years has viewed it in, which is kind of a good, fun um, example of competition. She would not have been crying, saying, I was spanked. Um, and, yes, if she came complaining about this, I would say, stop whining. Life is tough. Get a helmet. But, of course, she wouldn't have done that because the only people that would get upset with something like this, again, are it's sort of like snowflake alert. Oh, how can we have this happen? Hey, an update on a story we talked about a couple of days ago. Big story in USA Today about how the Army had quietly, apparently, decided that they were going to make it easier for people with various mental illnesses, people who were engaged in, for example, self-mutilation or or bipolar or a drug or alcohol problems to get into the military. Well, after that story became public, uh, the Army is now saying, never mind. (laughs) Army Chief of Staff General Mark Miley said Wednesday, that's yesterday, that the Army has rescinded a September memo stating that people with certain mental health issues, including self-mutilation, would be eligible for waivers to join the service. He said that uh, the Army rescinded the memo because of an article published Sunday by USA Today. They should have rescinded the memo because it was a really stupid idea, but if it took the idea becoming public to get them to rescind it, I'll take that. Okay, coming up, I want to tell you about a story, something I watched happen yesterday. My guess is you have probably seen the same thing happen sometime in the last month and one community's way of stopping it. Stick around. It's 159. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It really is the picture. If, if the, I, I, I said at the start of the program, this is one of our three big things. You know, what, what do you do with Al Franken? I understand they're going to investigate. Um, his allegations of sexual misconduct occurred before he was in the U.S. Senate. I I think it's it's actually it's a matter for the voters of, of Minnesota un- unless more people start to emerge. And I wouldn't be surprised that more people don't come forward. But the thing that really gets your attention, if you haven't seen the picture, it's it's all over now. It's I mean, her, this woman's story is we're on this USO tour and she's she was a she modeled for Playboy. She modeled for Maxim. Um, she's a sportscaster. She's a, a radio host, a very attractive woman, a very attractive woman. And um you know, her description of, you know, he wrote a scene so that he could kiss her and then, you know, he kind of grabbed her. And that, that that's that's bad and it's disgusting. The picture, though, is what does him in. And if you haven't seen the picture again, you can text the word Franken to 414-799-1620. But on the way back from this trip in Afghanistan, you know, she's kind of like in a military fatigue sort of. And she's fallen asleep. And here he, he's posing either grabbing and or pretending to grab her breasts. You know, he's got his hands 
hands wide open as if and then he's he's staring into the camera with this just uh, th- this awful lecherous look and it's it's going to be that picture that just and again I'm not calling for him to be removed from the US Senate and I don't I don't know what a Senate ethics investigation does other than perhaps it it brings up the question of are there other people did he do this to other people including did he do this to people you know when he was a US senator but it's going to be that picture because that's that is now going to be the image of Al Franken moving forward and whenever he gets on the judiciary committee and tries to I don't know lecture people about you know moral issues and things like that and talking about how you treat women and all that picture is going to be the one that I think everybody is going to remember okay um now that I'm back on the noon to three shift, when I am, when I'm driving, I, I get out of here depending if I have meetings after work. But now that I've, I've got stuff all over southeastern Wisconsin, I, I, I try to leave here as quickly as I can after I, I get off at three o'clock. After I get off at the air at three o'clock, and one of the, my first stops is typically I go over to my my house in the North Shore, and to get there I have to drive. I leave about the time schools are letting out. So if I get out of here by 10 after 3 or quarter after 3, um, in, in the neighborhood where um, I have a house, I've got you – know, there's a middle school that's a couple blocks away. There's a high school that's a couple blocks away. And they all let out about that time. So as you are driving home, you have to pay really, really, really close attention to the fact that there, there are kids out walking around. You know, they're, they're kids, they're on their bikes, they're in groups. And, and so you have to be really pay close attention because, trust me, the kids are not paying close attention. I mean, the kids, they, they'll, they'll walk out in front of traffic, they'll cross in the middle of the streets. You have to be really paying close attention because the last thing anybody wants to do is, is hit, you know, hit a middle school kid or hit a high school kid. Even if they've walked in front of your car, you want to be paying particular attention. So I've actually started taking less direct routes to try to get to my house um, that take me farther away from from the school. So you don't have to deal with as many kids. It makes me drive a little bit out of my way and kind of come in the back or the longer way. But you, know, you can avoid having as many kids because, again, they're just they're, they're being kids and, and you want to be a responsible driver. The other this was OK, today is Thursday. So this was Tuesday afternoon. I, I saw this coming because I was behind this car. And, you know, we're, we're, we're driving, and I, I'm, I'm always, again, I'm very tuned into the fact that you've got kids that are around at this, at this time. And I, I was watching this happen. There's a car in front of me who was driving at the speed limit, 25 miles an hour or, or whatever. And I, I saw this happening because I, and the car in front of me had the right of way. So it's not like they blow through a stop sign or anything, but I'm watching. There's this. There's it's one. It's two kids who I can't tell if they were young high school kids or I couldn't tell if seventh and eighth grade or you know ninth and tenth grade. I, but you get the kind of age range that's there. And it was two girls, and I was watching them because I saw them as they were kind of approaching the corner. And again, because I'm always trying to pay attention to this, and I watched them walk in front of the car that is in front of me and the the person who was in front of me thankfully saw him but i don't think they saw him till the last minute so they slam on the brakes and 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 then of course the the two kids kind of look and, and glare at the person in the car but but here's what was going on uh these two and they were girls but this could be boys this isn't a gender sort of thing 
they were texting. They were on their phones. And I, I saw this. They were completely and totally oblivious to their surroundings. They were both walking, heads down, looking at their phones. They walked in front of this car. I, I just and and I, I I just I watched this and it is but for literally, but for the grace of God that this person who was in the car in front of me did not hit these two kids. And and I don't I don't know if, you know, how it would have played out if something would have happened, but I'm sitting there thinking I'm a witness. But I saw them. I saw these kids walking. They did not they didn't stop at the corner. They didn't look you know, both ways before crossing. They just they never broke stride. And I think they were oblivious to the fact that they were even crossing the street. They were just looking down at at their phones. Who knows what they're whether I don't know if they're texting. I don't know what they're doing, but they're just staring at their phones as they walk across the street in front of traffic. Now, again, all's well that ends well. The kids give the driver a dirty look. I'm sure. I think it was a lady. I'm sure she probably has the equivalent of a heart attack. But okay, everybody goes on, and you know this, this isn't a story where kids get hit. But but I'm watching this, and my guess is you probably see this on, on a regular basis as well. Now, I was thinking of this because there was a story out of Chicago two days ago um, talking about how a number of legislators in Chicago, here's the deal, 27 pedestrians have been killed in Chicago so far this year. And one of the things that they are doing they're noticing that one of the common characteristics is that many of the people, not all, but many of the people who are killed or injured, what are they doing when they cross the street? They are texting or they're talking on the phone while crossing the street. So what they're considering doing in Chicago is passing an ordinance which would allow you to be fined anywhere between 90 bucks and 500 bucks for crossing the street while texting and also I think while talking on your phone right 4147991620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line now I don't know about the talking on your phone part because you can talk on your phone and still you know look both ways before you cross the street at the same time just like in Wisconsin, we have laws against texting while driving. What about texting while crossing the street? Because I swear, these two kids I saw, that's, that is what they were doing. They were I, or staring directly at their cell phone, completely oblivious to the world, and they could have been two traffic fatalities very easy. Would you support legislation which would essentially allow people to be fined for either texting or or talking on their phones while crossing the street. 414-799-1620. My answer is I, I certainly would when it comes to, I think I would when it comes to texting. Again, that's not going to solve the whole problem because you do have people that are staring at their phones regardless. But if it's a good idea to say no texting while driving, I think it's a good idea to say no texting while you're crossing the street. You've got to pay attention to your surroundings. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 217. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's see. Um, Mike. Uh, this is our text. This happens to me all the time. People cross in front of you and intentionally won't look at you, confirming that they see you, so they don't have to stop for you. Make this the law. Chicago is looking at imposing fines for people 
who text while crossing the road. I'm just saying I, I, I see this happen on an almost daily basis. I almost watch two 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th grade girls get hit by a car as they walked out without breaking stride two days ago. Focus, they cross the street. They're not looking either way. They're not even thinking about it. They are texting while they're walking, and they're lucky they weren't a statistic. Bob in West Allis says, yes, texting while walking down the street is a real problem. Happens in parking lots, too. People pay more attention to their phones and what's going on around them. It is dangerous. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree with Chicago. <laughs> okay, yeah. Mark the tape on that one, huh? Yeah, I see it all over the place in parking lots and grocery stores. And uh, the best example is that I was once driving into a certain gym parking lot, and this lady watched in front of me. I slammed on the brakes to avoid hitting on her. And then when I'm inside the gym later, the same lady did it to me. I almost bumped into her (laughs) around all the equipment and stuff. Yeah, well, again, it's... I mean, it's and I understand how people can get drawn into the power of their phones, and we get so immersed in the web and things like that. But it's just if I guess if we're going to say you can't text and drive, and by the way, I think that's a good law. I mean, crossing the street while you're staring at a phone and trying to text—that seems to me to be equally as dangerous, perhaps if not more so. Yeah, and this would be a good time to do it because the Christmas shopping season is coming when these places are going to get more crowded. Oh, yeah, right. I- I- exactly. No, thank- thanks. And, of course, you know, I mean, I- of course, the lawyer in me, as I'm watching this whole thing play out, and it really kind of is. You're like looking at it, and I'm sort of seeing it in slow motion, and the lawyer in me is saying, okay, here you have the- these two kids that have just walked out in front of this woman without breaking stride. Um, she has the right away, but still, you know, if she hits them, you know, there's going to be all this litigation and all this type of stuff. And I'm, I was actually kind of watching this, thinking, gee, I might end up being a witness to this. Let me just see exactly kind of what happened. But you, as a as a driver, if you're trying to be a responsible driver, you just kind of live in fear of this type of, of stuff. And look, I don't know, I I don't know if having a fine for this type of thing would discourage the behavior. But I guess I look at it in the category of, of it just, it couldn't hurt. Mike in Whitefish Bay. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I guess I disagree with having the, uh, making it illegal or, mm-hmm. or fining people. I, you know, if I look both ways before I cross the street and I'm still talking on the phone, I don't want to get a ticket. Um, so, but I think a better rule would be to cap their liability. You're talking about the litigation. Just say, if you, you're texting on your phone and somebody runs you over, you're SOL. Um, and, you know, don't blame the driver because I see people, and I, this happened to me just the other day where somebody was on their phone and they, the, the light, they didn't have the crosswalk, but they right. just step out there. <laughs> right. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I almost hit that person. Yep. What would happen if I would hit that person? They would sue me. Yep. And, uh, you know, and so I, I just think that they should be a cap on their liability, whatever, you know. Yeah, I mean, kind of like, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, get, I mean, See, I guess I'm trying to fork. I I would like to though to try to shut it off before that that happens. Yeah, that's that's kind of like for years and years, and I I've been away from this for a long time. So if you're a if you're an automobile 
um, collision lawyer, don't don't call me up. But there used to be like the the whole thing with the seatbelt defense, which was that the notion was okay if you're not wearing your seatbelt, let's say, and you're injured in an automobile crash. You know, sometimes you you would have the argument that was made in some states that was all right. Look here, here's how badly you were injured because you weren't wearing your seatbelt. If you were wearing your seatbelt, the injuries would have been a lot less, and so you should only be entitled to what would happen if you'd been wearing your seatbelt. That was the old seatbelt defense, and it kind of fell out of favor, and I, I, I just don't even know where it stands in the law anymore. But but that would be that kind of thing. And and maybe what you're talking about, Mike, is is an appropriate sort of thing for the litigation, but I don't even want to get that far. I mean, I, I don't want to hit people, okay? And, and at the same time, um, I, I just I don't think it's that much of a responsibility, or I don't think it's that much of a government overreach if we end up saying, hey, you know what? What what our grandparents and our parents taught us about how before you cross a street, you know, you, you look both ways before you step out, because um, that really, in fact, could end up saving your life. So in Chicago, be warned, if you're down there uh, over the, the Christmas holidays, you're shopping on Michigan Avenue or something, um, this is something that they are very serious about putting into effect. It's 225. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Packers are still in the NFC playoff race after a win against the Bears. Is an Aaron Rodgers return their only logical path to the proceeds? postseason. Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio debate tonight during Miller Lite's Packers Playbook, starting at 6 o'clock live from Who's on 3rd Bar and Grill in Milwaukee. Be sure to check that out. Uh, Greg and Jeff do an absolutely outstanding job. Coming up in about 8 minutes, huge debate going on in the U.S. Senate about whether or not the President should have the exclusive authority to decide when to launch a nuclear attack and whether to launch a nuclear attack. It is a scary, scary sort of doomsday story, but it raises some of those interesting questions that you end up having to deal with. You know, we, we talk a lot on this program about you know crime, and it, it's just the, the reality is that the vast majority of crime around here is committed – by a relatively small number of hardcore repeat criminals who are younger and younger. Um, Fox 6 had this story. Prosecutors say a 17-year-old boy, 17, is linked to six crimes happening in less than a month's time. The crimes include a carjacking, two robberies, two burglaries, and an incident in which he's accused of entering a home in Milwaukee's Washington Heights neighborhood. In two of the cases, he's accused of robbing from his own family members. Okay, so this is six felonies, separate felonies, on separate occasions in the space of one month. That's a heck of a month. Carjacking on Booth Street, October 11th. Burglary on Bender, October 17th. Burglary on Bender, October 17th. Robbery on Lapham. Robbery in Montana. Entry a home near 49th and Washington on November 19th. And, of course, you understand that, you know, this kid, he's 17 years old, also apparently has three open cases filed November 13th and 14th, um, faced with all these different charges. But, again, it's one of these stories where you have another one of these criminals that's just out this case, it's a 17-year-old, but it's a repeat criminal who's committing crime after crime after crime, and we don't have the guts to get these people off the street. 
It's 2.35. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. PG-13 warning for just a moment. I, I, I don't even know how you talk to your kids about it. We were actually, we, we, I was, my, I, my goal in life is to avoid meetings, but I was at a meeting this morning. And one of the things that was, was the subject of discussion was, you know, given... Yeah, today it's you know it, it, whether it's Kevin Spacey or Harvey Weinstein or you know Dustin Hoffman or Al Franken, you know the, the issue be, or Roy Moore. The issue becomes how how do you discuss with your kids? You know all these different stories that are going on. Of course, this this reminds me of you know the, the same issue that was raised back in the '90s with Bill Clinton. I mean, this is you turn on the news on a daily basis, and if you know if you've got you know kids that are watching the news, how how do you talk to them about? Well, we've got the president of the United States who's accused of doing this and that and the other thing, and here's the blue dress and all this stuff. I, I just it, it's one story after another involving one actor. The, the latest one that's out there, St- Sil- Sylvester Stallone uh, of Rocky fame. Um, he is now accused of sexually assaulting a 16-year-old girl, um, 1986. Apparently, this is, he was, 1986, he was 40. In 1986, she was 16. And the story is, um, it's, it's, the story is, she goes up to his hotel room, and he's got his bodyguard with him, and then it just, it kind of goes from there. But, I mean, it's just... She's she's sixteen, okay. That and but again, it's nineteen eighty six, so it's forty years ago. Do you believe this? Do you not believe it? But it's it's all the, these issues that are out there, and it's just you always wonder if you've got kids, how do you discuss this with them when this is, you know, that you can't pick up a newspaper, you can't turn on the radio, you can't turn on television without hearing now, you know, it, it's somebody else that's being accused of having these in this inappropriate contact. Okay. Um. There are members of the U.S. Senate who are concerned over the fact that the the president of the United States, regardless of who that president is, pretty much has the sole authority to decide whether to launch a nuclear strike. Um, The the president, as a matter of, of law, has sole control of nuclear launches. That goes back to the Atomic Energy Act of 1946. Now, it's interesting because the history of, of this act, this is, of course, in the, in the aftermath of, you know, dropping the atomic bomb in, on Japan, bombs on Japan. Um, and the concern was, well, we, we, back in 1946, was we want to rein in the military. We, we don't want generals making the decisions whether to drop nuclear bombs. So um, the, the law is, and it goes back to 1946 under the Atomic Energy Act, that the, the President of the United States pretty much has sole and exclusive decisions as to when to do this. Um, theoretically, I guess somebody in the military could refuse to follow what it considers to be a disproportionate and unnecessary order, but you're in the military. There is a chain of command, and the president is the commander-in-chief. So whether it's Bill Clinton or George Bush or Barack Obama or Donald Trump or whoever comes after Donald Trump, it is going to be right now the state of the law is the president of the United States has the, the pretty much the sole and exclusive authority to decide whether to launch a nuclear strike. Um, because it is President Trump, you have certain Democrats who are 
uncomfortable with this. Here's what uh, Chris Murphy, who's a Democrat from Connecticut, says. He says, we are concerned that the president of the United States is so unstable, so volatile, has a decision-making process that is so odd that he might order a nuclear strike that is wildly out of step with U.S. interests. Um, Bob Corker, who is the Republican chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, who's retiring. He's the guy that's been one of the the big dust-ups, you know, with the president. You know, he says that he's concerned that, you know, Trump's threats to global rivals could put the country on a path to World War II. And he is concerned about the inherent danger in a system where the president has the sole authority to give launch orders that there are no ways to revoke. Now, so this is being debated in the Senate. The Democrats focus on the fact that it's Donald Trump. The Republicans who have these concerns say, okay, is this too much authority to give to the the commander-in-chief on his own? Forget whether it's Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or Donald Trump or whoever. You know, should there be more checks and balances on how this decision is made? The flip side is, well, I mean, somebody's got to make this decision. And, you know, you, can you have can you have dillying, dallying, and dithering? Let us say, for the sake of argument, that North Korea gains a nuclear capability and starts attacking the United States. Well, okay, what, what are you supposed to do? Have bills go through Congress and have the debates go on as to whether we should have a nuclear retaliation? I mean, doesn't, at the end of the day, somebody be able to have to be able to make that decision and make it quickly? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that some people think that, you know, Various presidents, elected leaders, are unstable or don't have good judgment or whatever. But would it be a good idea to take that nuclear launch ability, that decision, away from the president? And again, I don't know, give it to committees or give it to Congress or whatever. And my answer is, to paraphrase Harry Truman, the buck has to stop somewhere, and I think it belongs with the president. Elections have consequences. But let's discuss. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, should the president be the one who has control over the nuclear arsenal? And the truth is, I mean, you have to make a policy. You, You can't. If you're going to say we want to take it away from President Trump, that means you're taking away from the next president. And who are you giving that authority to? Are you giving it to Nancy Pelosi? Are you giving it to when Harry Reid was the leader of the Senate? Are you giving it to him? How do we make these decisions? And my answer is I I think you've got to leave it with the president. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 242. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This week brings Championship Friday for high school football, and Preps Live has you covered. And I know this is really cool. We've spent a lot of time and effort making this happen. You can catch the WIAA Division 1, 2, and 3 state title games live from Camp Randall Stadium starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow on your WTMJ mobile app. All right, the, the Senate is, is considering efforts to take away the president's authority, sole authority, to launch nuclear missiles. Um, That goes back to a 1946 law when the concern was, hey, we want civilian leaders to control the nuclear bomb, not 
generals. Now you've got some Democrats who are concerned that it's Donald Trump. He's unstable. You've got some Republicans who are concerned in general that that's too much power to give to any one person. As a practical matter, I think the buck has to stop somewhere, and I think it's ultimately it's the president that has to have the ability to make that decision. Let's start with Greg at Greenfield. Hi, Greg. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Um, first off, I would just like to say that I think by saying that uh, Democrats are the only ones who think uh, Mr. Trump is unstable, I, I believe that there are people on both sides of the aisle that feel that way. And finally, on the subject at hand, I think that uh, our nuclear arsenal should be controlled by more than one person. I think it's only fair that okay, the well, president have the last say. But okay, tell me. Uh, let, let's let's deal with practical realities, and let me walk you through a scenario. It's two thirty in the morning on a Saturday night. We get reports that, and, and this is a doomsday scenario, but but bear with me. We get reports that Russia has launched a series of nuclear weapons heading for the west coast of California. You have Mr. President or whoever, you've got 10 minutes to make a decision as to what we are going to do. If if it doesn't lie, if the decision to retaliate doesn't lie in the hands of the president, you, you've got 10 or 15 minutes or 30 minutes, what are you supposed to do? How, how, how do you get a committee consensus in that limited time period? Well, I don't think that we need a, a committee consensus per se, but I believe that um, the heads of the military would be the ones who contact him, and then he would, of course, have to make the final decision. Well, I guess I mean, I mean, I think that's the way it is now. I mean, you know, it's I, I guess I, I what what the Senate's looking at doing, I, I think, is trying to, again, make this sort of a committee thing. At, at the end of the day, I, I just think. As a practical matter, the decision has to rest in in one person's hands, and, and that is the scenario. It's two thirty in the morning. You know, so you, you get awakened. This it's the doomsday. Like the crazy guy in North Korea has just you know sent a nuclear. We we think he might have six nuclear weapons. He's just launched one. It's heading for Japan. Okay, what 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 do we do? Well, I, I just don't think it's a practical matter. You can say let's convene the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Let's set up a meeting for eight thirty in the morning. Who's going to bring the coffee? Who's going to bring the bagels? Um, let let's get let's get Congress there. I just don't think it's a practical matter. You you can do that. I, I think. That's we always talk about elections having consequences. Um, Lon texts. I agree. Elections have consequences, and it's not right to elect someone to a certain position of responsibility and then turn around and take that responsibility away. That being said, I will be surprised if President Trump makes it through his presidency without pushing that big red button. Well, I sure as heck hope you're. I. I mean, I just hope you're wrong. I. I just. I just do um let's see another text this is just another attack on trump that's why it's an issue um sam says at two in the morning when everyone's on recess what do you do um this is and and yeah that i guess see that's the that is the practical matter and and this is it's a nightmare scenario i even hate to discuss it but before we start talking about changing things tell me how that's going to you know work work out danny in milwaukee danny you're on wtmj good afternoon Hi, how are you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think? Do you take this away from the president? Well, for one thing, what the last caller was saying, if I remember correctly, you know, to be able to actually do the physical launch, the president has to enter in his codes, and then so does, like, the 
Secretary of State or somebody along that line. Mm-hmm. And now when I go to the communication, they've got something in place, I'm sure, for that kind of a situation, whether it be you know some kind of secure phone line or something. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think, I mean, thanks for calling me, but I think the concern here is, is, right, I mean, there's, I mean, obviously, it's the, right now, the law is the president's the one that gives the order. The, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know how it exactly works. I don't think there's a big red button that's on, on President Trump's nightstand that you just kind of wake up and push. I, I mean, obviously, there's a procedure, and you have to the code, and you have the orders, and there's a chain of command. I, I guess with this law, the way I understand it is, this is about, um, Changing the chain of command so it's not the president that ends up making the ultimate decision, or at least it's not the president that makes the ultimate decision in, in a vacuum. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, again, I'm sure the way it works is the president gives that order in consultation with the military, and you have to do this and that and the other thing. So I, I'm sure there's a procedure, but at the end of the day, under the law. Right now, it is the president that makes that call. It is his, or if it was Hillary, it would have been her decision. They're the ones that's ultimately responsible. Like I say, I mean, I guess theoretically, somebody in the chain of command can refuse to pass along the orders, but but that's not the way that the system ends up working. Let's talk to Rick in New Berlin. Hi, Rick. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, I do. Huh. I, uh, you know, I think uh, there should be one more person as a buffer, just, uh, you know, a Speaker of the House, no matter who it is. You know, if there's something going down in 10 minutes, they all get the call anyways. You know, they're all heading for a bunker one way or another. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, but again, let, let, I'm trying to I'm trying to work this out practically. So let, let's say it's President Trump and it's Paul Ryan. My scenario, you've got to make a decision in 15 or 20 minutes. Um, Paul Ryan says, I, I think we should go. The president says, no, I, I don't think we should, or vice versa. The, the Speaker of the House says, I don't think this is a good idea, Mr. President. Uh, president Trump says, I think we should. Okay, w- what what do you do? I mean, st- doesn't somebody have to make the decision at the end of the day? Yeah, I, I guess so. And, and I just found out recently, like, there's, what, uh, four people that have to take, like, real stressful exams just to carry the football itself? <laughs> yeah. And the, and the president doesn't, and, okay, well, then them, them people are going to have to be real sure that this is happening, too, you know, um, as... Yeah, no, I mean, I, right, I mean, it is, I mean, thanks for, it's, you know, part of having a democracy is that we we trust our leaders to do the right thing. Now, obviously, this is an issue, it, it's become an issue because there's a lot of people who view President Trump as being dangerously unstable. That That is kind of what the political narrative is there. I hope that analysis is, is wrong. I, I mean, I, I really do, because this is the doomsday scenario. But having said that, we have this system, and if this wasn't a concern with Barack Obama or it wasn't a concern with George Bush or it wasn't a concern with Bill Clinton or George H.W. Bush or Ronald Reagan or whatever – I guess I just don't see changing the system, but you certainly hope that you know that is the the last that that's the last thing that you end up considering, and you certainly hope that the president would again seek advice and consent before you would do something like that, especially if you're going to do it in in a preemptive fashion. My my scenario has always been, what if you're under attack? But 
you know, you'd hope that you would consult, but I, I think it's authority that the president has to have. It is 2.54. When we come back, we're going to talk to John McCure. We'll find out what he has on his mind for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.